Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Hello. 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 So, hey, two <laughs> weeks in a row. And today we started pretty much on time, kind of. And we're recording where we're supposed to be recording. This is good. We're uh, we're getting back into the groove of things. You know, I, I was actually ready 13 minutes before we started recording. And then I got... I got Pulled into a, a nice conversation. <laughs> yeah, you know, not that's ready the, until 15 minutes after. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I thought about trying to record at work. You know, maybe like if we could squeeze in another time. It's just too hard. I have a back broom closet where I eat my lunches now because that's the only way I get a lunch break. Because people just they just don't get it, man. They walk up, they see me eating, you know, outside my office, and then I I you know mouth to them, oh I'm on break, and they're like oh, and they still try to open the door, which is locked. Mm-hmm. They keep trying to jiggle the <laughs> handle. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm on break. They're like, oh, yeah, just a quick question. <laughs> and then it's it just opens up a can of worms. And from there, everybody starts. And I'm just like, no, leave me alone. So I have a back broom closet. It's just kind of hard because there's always like noise or someone trying to open the door and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, lo- I love that. Uh I love that. Uh, oh, I know you're on break, but this is just for yeah. me or just, I, yeah. I know you're on break, but that's the, that's how it always starts. Oh, hey, real quick question, AJ. It's, yeah, no. Um, today we have a special episode. A special episode that you thought of, which I love because we have not done a top 10 in a while or a listicle as they're called sometimes. Uh, so yeah, those are some of uh, the episodes people seem to enjoy the most. So last week after we recorded, you randomly threw out this topic and I thought, wow, this is great. I mean, kind of similar to one we've done in the past, but very different at the same time. So there'll be a lot of familiar faces on there and certain people that may have, may have been on the previous list due to the character type uh, that the previous one was and what this list is going to be. But before we get into that, anything you want to talk about? Any questions? Anything new in the life of Gavinson? Uh, I, I think I text you, uh, this week about going down the rabbit hole of the Tom Berenger sniper movies. That's right. I forgot you were doing work and watching the sniper (laughs) movies. Uh, now I believe I've only ever seen the first one around when it first came out. I remember watching on the USA network. Uh, but I don't think I ever watched any of the follow-ups because let's say Billy Zane was Billy Zane, yeah, yeah. Billy Zane's in them later, I know. And Bokeem Woodbine, maybe? Is, That's, he's in the sequel. Yeah, there we go. See, yes, I, I'm familiar with him. I used to see him on the shelves in Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. <laughs> but usually I was going for more, you know, martial arts-related stuff. But how was that experience? Well, it, it's great because of the pace. And I was doing, uh, you know, uh, full disclosure, I was doing payroll at the time. And I'm dealing with numbers. And it's good for me to keep the pace up. So I'm just, like, doing Tom Berenger and Billy Zane pace as I'm... Uh, as I'm doing payroll, but uh, uh, from uh, from a martial arts perspective, I've also also had the opportunity to revisit a couple of uh, franchises, the Never Back Down franchise with uh, Michael Jai White. I skipped the first one, and uh, the Undefeatable, Undisputed, not Undefeatable, Undisputed ah. franchise with uh, with Scott Atkins. And I mean, it's it's you know I've been sitting at home doing work and taking breaks, and uh, when I've been doing that, I've been enjoying these. Uh, 
like many straight-to-video franchises, Sniper, Never Back Down, and Undisputed. I, too, just finally started Never Back Down 3 for the first time. So I'm about 20 minutes in, I think. So yeah. no spoilers, because I, too, am watching it on Tubi. Uh, <laughs> so and I, was, I can only assume that's where you were watching it. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I never had the chance to watch it. Not that I ever... It, it, it was one of those ones that just was never accessible to me. And then I finally saw it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's on Tubi. So... Yeah, as for me, have I watched anything else this week? I've, I've been a little uh, busy doing stuff. What have I been watching at lunch? Uh, nothing really. I've been reading a little bit. So, yeah, I don't think I've actually watched a significant amount of anything martial arts-wise. But I will make up for that today and tomorrow because it's the weekend, baby. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so... Should we discuss what we're going to discuss? Should we discuss? Discuss what we're well, going to discuss. Well, I think we discuss. should discuss whether or not we should discuss what we're going to discuss. Let's do that. Yeah. I think we're doing that right now. Oh, dang. <laughs> Mind blown. Uh, but did you have any other? Okay, so your questions, I'd imagine, might be related to our topic. They certainly are. So how about this? Since you picked this wonderful topic, let our listeners know what it is. So today we are doing the top 10 list of henchmen. In Hong Kong cinema. Uh, the cinema. top 10 henchmen of Hong Kong cinema. So when you it's, threw this out there, I was like, man, what a great idea. Because we did villains, but really mm -hmm. some of the most memorable characters from Hong Kong cinema are the henchmen even more than the villains. You know, and I don't want to give any spoilers to our list, but sometimes you first instinct remember the henchman like oh the bad guy was so it's like no technically the bad guy was james tien the henchman was no 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 right it's like oh yeah he wasn't the bad guy but did such a good job as the henchman you forget they are not the lead villain now sometimes like in our previous list a lot of these lead villains also did most of the dirty work too hence why they were our lead villains but the henchman a lot of the times and i think in this list we're going to see they handle most of if not all of the dirty work per se, whether it's the fighting or the killing or the um, more severe things that I don't even want to talk about. But well, yeah. And, you know, it, it's interesting because like as I was jumping into this like henchman like prototype that I that I created, because there, there are a few rules. Let's say that. I don't know. Let's say that Benny the Jet might be on this list. He can only be on this. He can only be on this list for one role. He can't be on this list for, say, two roles. I right. don't know if there would be such two roles, but let's just say there there are. Uh, so as I'm like going through the prototype, I, I thought back on cinema and thought of three key henchmen prototypes. Uh, one being Jack Palance from Shane. Mm -hmm. and the, the, you know what's funny? I was about to say, before we even did it, I'm like, are we going to go all the way back to the Western? Because I had a film professor in grad school who got so angry at me once because, well, and his thing was there's only four genres in cinema or whatever, and every other genre is not, it's, uh, outside of that isn't an actual genre. It's a subgenre of said blah, blah, blah. But then that's also very ignorant because then you're ignoring international cinema where, mm -hmm. like, let's say the wuxia pian or the gong fu pian did not come from the western yes filmmaking is inherently western it was made in the west but the storytelling that wuxia came from <clears throat> excuse me is a much older literary uh, style from chinese cinema so i digress slightly but within american uh film theory and so forth there are the people of the mindset that 
like there's only those like four key genres that started off, you know, whether it was the Western, the musical, the drama and the comedy or something like that. And then so the action genre, in a sense, is derived from the Western. But see, then I don't even buy that because the swashbuckler like adventure films came pre-Western. So once again, yeah, this it's, is, it's, I didn't agree with this professor and his, but he's, hey, he's been published. He's written books, whatever, whatever. But that's why my initial assumption was you were going to go back to a Western. No, absolutely. And it's because like the Jack Palance character in Shane is kind of the perfect definition of, of a dark henchman, a henchman who's brought in just for fun, uh, money. He, the character, he or she, in this case, he uh, imposes a will on the, on his character, imposes his will on the script and can change the trajectory of the film. Two other henchmen I thought of were played by the same actor, Tatsuya Nakadai, in both Yojimbo mm. and Sanjuro. So even though he faced the same character in both those films, he was a, you know, he was an actor in the first one. He is sort of maybe a blood relative, so not necessarily hired, but kind of hired. And he changes the trajectory of the film because Mifune was running the town with the two sides fighting each other. Then all of a sudden, Nakadai shows up after a visit to the West and he's brought with him a revolver. And then that changes the trajectory of the film. And then, of course, there is... So he's kind of like the the creepy henchman who's doing this almost for pleasure. So Jack Palance is doing this for money and menacing. Uh, Nakadai and Yojimbo is doing it almost for pleasure, like acting. He's like has the freedom to do whatever he wants because he has a backer. And then in Sanjuro, he is an honorable samurai who is living living his code where he must stand up to Mifune no matter what. And so there's a, that final final uh, sword samurai showdown, which is, you know, just beautifully shot. But those are the three prototypes that I came up with when I was creating my list. And when you think of henchmen, so here, here comes the question for you. How did you define a henchman? Because there's so many, there are so many colorful henchmen in Hong Kong cinema, particularly in the 80s, there are movies that are just essentially dragons forever. It's all henchmen. Yeah, and that that was why that's a, it was a tough one in the sense of, I think for me, it was very easy to define what a henchman uh, was or is. But what was harder is to, how do you make a top 10 henchman? So I decided that to make the list, to be one of the top 10 henchmen, you had to do more than just fight. And we kind of brought that up. It, you may have actually had one of the greatest fights in Hong Kong cinema, but not have been that great of a henchman necessarily. You just, literally, that's all you did. You stepped on and fought. And I even, I have maybe one or two on my list that are kind of more of uh, like that, mm -hmm. you know? So I struggled for sure. But I needed, as a henchman, I needed you to have a prevalent role in the film. So... There's some people that dropped up and down because of that. I needed you to have a decent amount of screen time. Not necessarily, uh, you know, obviously as much as the villain or the lead, but you had to have a presence throughout the film. And I wanted you to have whether not necessarily character development, but some sort of distinction to your character. Right. You even if it's just a short brief of time, a period of time that shows some sort of characteristics about you, like how evil you are, or how menacing you are. That's what I wanted to see. And I wanted stuff to be memorable for that reason. So it, it had to be a performance 
it couldn't just be a walk-on fight. You had to have left some sort of memorable trace of your essence, right? You had to have like something where instinctively when you think of henchmen, oh, I think of so-and-so from so-and-so. Oh, why? It was just a fight? Well, no, not just a fight. They also killed this dude like this. And also they were just so maniacal. And even just the way they, sometimes it may just be body language. Body language plays a key role in being a good henchman. Mm-hmm. And even, slight spoiler alert, alert, my number one, definitely that's one of the main uh, characteristics that he brought to the screen. So that was kind of my thing. And it went, it goes back and forth. And then people are going to be like, well, no, look at this guy you picked. It has nothing to do with what you just said. Yeah, I know. I'm not perfect. But uh, uh, that's kind of what happened for me. And so my list jumped around like crazy. Like someone I had at number two is now number seven or something like that. You know what? Uh, and also there's going to be a bit of that nostalgia factor. One, I think it's maybe my number 10. See, I don't remember anymore. I have it on my computer here. But is definitely a nostalgia factor and I have a crap ton of honorable mentions that I'll just read through real quick once we get to that just because once again a lot of these guys that are on the honorable mentions have done so many awesome kind of memorable henchman roles but at the same time what you remember is their fight scenes Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. even somebody who's on my list very high up as we talked about he's probably the greatest henchman of Hong Kong cinema but he's just done it so many times and Every time he does it, it's great, but it's not necessarily going to make that top 10. But, you know, it's definitely it's, better than most people's. I, I'm very curious to know which of his henchman roles, and I know you're talking about, uh, which of Eric Tseng's henchman role. No, but seriously, like which which henchman role of his makes Wu it? Ma. Because, yeah, <laughs> because it was so difficult for me. Like, I actually had him at a particular ranking and then... I was like, no, I don't know if that's actually a henchman. So then I switched it and then that changed the rankings. Anyway, well, I'm looking forward to getting to this list. So I did ask, I did prep you with this question. Uh If you were to think of a great henchman in Western martial arts cinema, who would this be? Because this, this list that we're doing is essentially Hong Kong cinema. Yes, that is true. Oh man. And the funny part is I totally forgot to even think about that. Uh, uh, so I think the funny part is the first person that pops into my head and he's been in multiple martial arts movies and maybe he doesn't even have, he's more of the one like I was saying, like you just remember him constantly popping up. It's not necessarily one distinct character of his, but that would be uh, Obata Sensei. Is it? Uh, oh yeah. That's a great henchman. Yeah, I mean, he was, so, he was fantastic in Rage and Honor. Rage and Honor, one. Ninja Turtles, uh, Showdown Little Tokyo. He's just like always so good, right? So he's, and very specifically martial arts cinema, right? So he's yes. one of the first ones that pops in my head because the the one, I'd say one of the things is we actually don't necessarily get to see him cut loose as much in the martial arts as you'd like, but menacing, yes. His presence, he just brings that evil, yet, like, for example, in a role like Raging Honor, honorable characteristic yeah. to the screen. That's, so a, that's, he's that's like, actually, obviously I mentioned him, I mentioned that film because that is one of my favorite Right. roles of his because he, he isn't just the like the one note samba that you'll get from so many of the characters he had to play that one actually has that that like honorable layer and and from a menacing where he actually lets loose another film that he did uh but he's the main villain is uh sort of bushido i don't That's, know if you've I've never had the chance to see it. oh 
I, yeah, if we if we when you visit, if we have a VHS player, we'll pop it in because I mean, in that one, he totally lets loose. And speaking of sort of Bushido, uh, just last week, uh, we uh, I should say I was able to coordinate uh, interviews with both our sensei Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham for the mm-hmm. upcoming. Uh, I think it's Eureka doing the writing wrongs blu-ray re-release so uh with mr frank jang i coordinated uh him to go interview sensei and at the last second i noticed richard norton was in town so i got a hold of him and also got him in there because i believe it's 88 films later in the year will be re-releasing magic crystal so uh i got to reunite sensei and richard norton so that was cool i wish i could have been there but alas i had work and could not drive six hours down to L.A. But those will be great behind-the-scenes features. And now I'll finally have to get myself an international Blu-ray player and then drop like 400 bucks on all of these Blu-rays that have been released over the last I couple of years. It's like I was holding out hope that they were going to re- be released here, but they're not. So because the people you, that hold on to the rights for the U.S. market just like hold on to them. I know. I don't know. Well, you just, know you, you know, we, um, we, yeah. We might have to like figure out uh, which movies you're buying, which movies I'm buying, and then doing like uh, slowly do a, a shared library build out. Because I, I at some point I'm gonna have to jump on the yeah. Blu Blu-ray train as well. It's like it's like a uh, book club. Oh yeah, wait. Do you have a Blu-ray player? I don't. Man, that's shameful, dog. Like, I, well, I'm, I'm, I still got a, I still got a VHS player and so do DVD I. player. So do I. But so, you know, yeah, but uh, but real quick, uh, last American martial arts uh, henchman aside from Obata Sensei. Uh, so I, I actually have a pretty good one. Okay, let's hear it. And, and this is a bold and beautiful uh, selection. So, okay. Uh, it was Sean Kanan from uh, Karate Kid 3. Great, it's great a, It's a great, great henchman. And he's as almost, if not just as colorful as Thomas Ian Griffith, who was on my top 10 villain list. So it's a great, it's, that's a really good tandem when you have a great villain and a great henchman. Yeah, maybe... Uh one of the best, though, would definitely have to be Bolo and Double Impact, too, is also yeah, a great yeah. one. Uh, yeah. Because he is technically a henchman, right? He's not the lead villain this time. So that's the thing with all the Van Damme movies. They're, they're maybe not necessarily the henchman, but in that case, Bolo Young was the henchman. And Bolo I, Young was fantastic. Yeah, we love Double film. Impact. But uh, cool. I mean, so are we ready to get into this list? I think we are. And I... I I'm going to let you start this with, with, your, with your honorable mentions, because I... I I've got some honorable mentions, but I what I did is it was getting so convoluted. I'm gonna, just going to rely on you to come up with some. And if you miss anybody on your honorable mentions that I think aren't on our list, I'm going to follow up. Okay, so you go ahead and start. Well, I was going to say you start. Oh, oh okay. With the, with your honorable mentions. Sorry. Oh, 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 my, my bad. Sorry, I totally zoned out. I, I got an important <laughs> text message and was trying to read that. But okay, uh, my honorable mentions. We've got Keith Vitale and Wheels on Meals. Mm-hmm. Wong Jang Lee, because we will forget, especially as he segued into contemporary Hong Kong cinema. We had him in Where's, uh, uh, oh my gosh, not Oliver's Bumbo. Where's Officer Tuba? So he was great in that one. And then we mm-hmm. also have him in Magnificent Warriors. And then, I mean, obviously a, a crossover one, No Retreat, No Surrender 2. So he did a bunch of great henchman roles later on. We've got John Salviti, you know, uh, who popped up in Tiger Cage 2 and The Lion Duty 4. I like him. Uh, Wong Lung Wei or Johnny Wong, who is in all the Shaw Brothers movies. And uh, kind of the puffier cheeks mustache guy. Uh, <laughs> he pops up all over the place. Probably most remember him as his lead villain role in Shaolin versus Wu-Tang. But he was a great henchman. Uh, Benny Lai in uh, Police Story 2. And once again, the reason he didn't qualify as a henchman for me is because he was technically one of the lead villains. It was the three of them. And so I couldn't count him as a henchman 
in my opinion. No, that's, uh, that's I, I actually I thought of the same character, yep. and and sometimes when henchmen are doing the work for themselves, it they are essentially villains. Right, exactly. And so someone could argue like, oh, well, they're making him do all the fights. Like, yeah, but no, technically he's part of that team. Okay, I've got Jeff Falcone who pops up all over mm-hmm. Hong Kong cinema. Uh, I mean, maybe one of his most memorable ones is in. Uh, uh, I mean, we've got. Oh my gosh, what am I? Uh, uh, oh my gosh, Marrr! Outlaw Brothers is a great one, but uh, uh, huh. Inspector Wears Skirts, thank you, Jesus yes. Louise. I mean, so I just did a super in, uh, uh, intense uh, exercise regimen, so <laughs> I'm a little, I'm, I'm drinking my protein shake right now. Uh, and then I had Mark Houghton, same thing, pops up mm-hmm. all over the place. Uh, my favorite would be Skinny Tiger and Fatty Dragon maybe, but he's just fantastic, but once again, didn't have that distinction is like you love to see him on screen. His martial arts are fantastic, but he never really got the chance to shine as a true henchman being part of the story and so forth. We have uh, Fung Harkon, who is also yeah. one of the greatest villains, super evil looking, uh, you know, but typically was either the villain or not really even much as a henchman as he was like a weaselly son or secondary to the evil master. Uh, I mean, he and of course, he did a lot of very evil sexual assault type things in his films and he was great in police story but just nothing that really would make the list and then of course i have pretty much a lot of the people from the bruce lee movies so chuck norris being one of like the original henchmen could have easily made my list i decided no just because it's their their fight scene so iconic it's more than him just being a henchman right it's like Mm -hmm. he transcends the henchman role there, but I mean, then you could also look at like someone like Bob Wall, may he rest in peace, who just passed, right? He did a, a couple of henchman roles in the Bruce Lee movies. Bob Baker uh, could have been easily looked at as one of the like prototypes for the henchman, right? In uh, Fist of Fury. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's that's my honorable mentions list right there. That, that's great. Uh, the only couple of names I have to uh, add to that because that is a fantastic list. And one of these people might be on your list because she was on my list is Cynthia Rothrock. Uh, I feel like for, for me, she's definitely uh, honorable mention. For and- Magnif- I mean, for uh, Shanghai Express? Yes. Yeah. So I, I thought about it and she could have easily made it, yeah. but she just didn't. So you know what? Good uh, point putting her on the honorable mentions. And the other, I kept him on the list as long as I possibly could. Uh, Gary Daniels for City Hunter. You might be on your list. Okay, he was at he 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 was at the no comment. All right, because it's such an iconic no role. We'll comment. get into that possibly. Okay, anybody else? No, uh, no, no, no. Those, those, those. Well, you know what? Okay, yeah, one more. Lam Chi Ying for Magnificent Butcher. Yeah, that's a good uh, one because uh, I thought he, about he, that he, whole like group of them, and you know, Fung Harkon being in that too, and yeah, that uh, yeah, Lam Chi Ying was great in that. So great honorable mention there. Yes, I, and it's it's there's so many like grouping uh, groups of henchmen that sometimes they they all stand out in their own way. But uh, and that we one didn't in really talk about this. But now that we're about to start the list, I have what? two groups of henchmen that make my list. I, I was going to have two groups. One was going to be the magnificent uh, butcher henchman, and then one is actually on this list. Oh, I but bet because, you. It's, I because bet you it's the same one. Of it might one of be. Mine. It might be. It might be. Okay. But, I, but because they're multiples, I put them at the bottom instead of like cheating and putting them high up. Yeah. Although one if you cheat and put them high up, it's okay. One of mine's my number 10, but one is pretty high up. So let's start. Uh, what's your number 10, homie? My number 10 is the combination of Dick Way and Chung Fat. And oh, oh, okay. Oh. No, no, no. Keep going. 
Okay. I was going to say for yes, madam, but no, based on what we've been talking about, it's for Prodigal Son. They oh. are fantastic, maniacal henchmen who who do what they're supposed to do. Wow. Didn't even think of that one. Uh, Dickway makes my list for a different role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was one of those ones at first where I'm like, yeah, he's maybe the second best henchman in all Hong Kong cinema, but I, I couldn't find a distinct role. But then the main one I was going to go with, I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll put it at 10. But the more I thought about it, I was like, no, he is pretty evil. So he goes way up. But that's a great one. I didn't even think about. Uh, and they are because they're they're totally willing to do anything for their master, the king or whatever, in yeah. order to keep the. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it was it was a. Safe. It was a it was a tough call for me, like where to put them on the list, but because I was like teaming them up, and because the rules are key but slightly small, I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put the tie at at, at number ten. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and obviously, uh, uh, and, and the thing is, you kind of forget about that them in that role, but I think that's a fantastic choice. Let's hear. Let's hear oh. your. Let's hear your grouping. So my number ten is. The cast, or the, I guess the, the the group of henchmen of Operation Condor. Oh. So we've got yeah, that's that's a beautiful choice. Uh, you know, there's a, a bunch of people in there, like Ken Goodman, Steve Tartaglia, but more specifically, like Vincent Lynn, Bruce Fontaine, those guys. And I think a lot of that, this is the nostalgia factor one I was talking about too, simply because that was one of the first big Hong Kong cinema movies I saw. It was like 97, I think, is when it got released, re-released for America. And so I saw that. And that was my first introduction to, like, great henchmen. Because the thing is, and someone may argue, like, oh, no, Vincent Lin's the bad guy. No, they all work for Adolf, right? They are all henchmen. And they're just so good. You know, we have the whole sequence in the hotel with uh, Ken Goodman and Bruce Fontaine and maybe Steve Tartelli's in there. I can't remember. But... Uh, and then the finale at the end, and they all get to throw down. And a lot of these guys would have multiple henchman roles over the years. Uh, once again, the great Bruce Fontaine pops up. I just watched him in Curry and Pepper. Finally got a hold of that recently. And, yeah, so I think for me, they're just all so good, and the action's so good. And it was that my first introduction into kind of classic henchman-type characters. Uh, and I just think that movie stands the test of time and is still just so fun. And yeah, so that's why they were number ten. That's uh, a, that's a great selection. Uh, I do have a question: mm-hmm. Is uh, is Ken Lo not part of that? Okay, so <laughs> this is the, let's let's not get too All right, too technical. Get too, okay. uh, yes, I am kind of breaking the rules because Ken uh-huh. Lo is one of the henchmen. That being said, he's not what I think of as the henchman because. He's more featured towards the end of the finale, especially with the wind tunnel sequence where it's like they needed Hong Kong stuntmen, right? Like mm-hmm. the the action and stuff throughout is mostly Vincent Lin is kind of like the leader of the henchmen, Bruce it's, Fontaine, Ken Goodman, those guys. So, yes. But then you, you could it's technically fair. say that, like, I'm sure there's other ro- roles you're going to have on there where Ken Lo was featured in there as another character, right? That's, that's, well, I, yeah. I, I'm, pr- I'm presuming that Ken Lo is going to be on your list for another role. This is true. It is. And he, but that's the one that went up and down like crazy. Uh, yeah. And could have been number one, could have. But yeah, so that's my number 10. Okay. My number nine, I, I I tried to like put keep him down at the bottom because I mean I'm I'm absolutely biased, but it's a it's an iconic role, an epic role. It's from one of our favorite films. It's a movie basically of all henchmen, essentially, but it's Sensei Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham writing wrongs. Yeah, uh I mean 
he's a little <laughs> farther up on mine, and that's totally. He started off like right around number nine, but I moved him up a little bit. But yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, it's it's the best we've ever seen Sensei on screen. Period. And a lot of that is because of who he got to work with, the type of character he was playing, the, uh, his ability to to kind of travel between fights and come and shoot these scenes. And they shot that. I mean, Corey, and we've we've talked about this film before. You can go back and listen to our other episode on writing wrongs, and I highly recommend that episode. Uh, he's just absolutely iconic on the film, uh, on film, and his character essentially does is a Jack Palance uh, going in and like eliminating a whole family of witnesses, and then. Followed up to take on our, our protagonist, uh, Yun Biao, and just it just you come away with two two very iconic scenes. The way he handles these scenes very well, and it's so different from who he actually is as a human being as well. Oh, a hundred percent. That's something I didn't even think about because since he's literally the the nicest person on the planet, like just good hearted, no, nothing evil about him, but he just does such an amazing job of playing this cold heartless calculated killer but the thing is he's not doing it in the sense of because he likes to you could tell he's doing it like for the money this is his job he's a professional right like even when he goes to put that bomb on the wall it's just kind of a he just kind of sighs and puts it on there and walks away and it's not like a, oh, i'm having self-doubt and you know what no it's just he's just like well hey it's a job yeah, it's- it's not it's not uh, it's not one of those this is my last hit kind of hitman movies either. It's mm. it's he is he is in the he's in the prime of his hitman of his hitman career. Right. However, I say that yet at the same time when in the at the end with you and Biao, he's like, come on, come on. You can tell he is kind of crazy. So, uh, yeah. yeah, great choice. All right. Uh I'm wondering who your number nine is. My number nine. And could have been higher, but because it's such a wacky goofball movie, <laughs> it is Gary Daniels and City Hunter. Yep. So it, it goes against all the other henchmen, which are more serious. Or even Operation Condor is obviously like an action-adventure comedy. And a lot of the stuff with the henchmen is comical, but it's not slapstick, uh, like almost like Zhang Shijian. Oh, no. Uh, the... Mole Tao, like, well, no, I guess that wouldn't be right. But it is kind of more. It's Wang Jing, right? It is wacky, goofy uh, comedy. And so, but, and so normally you'd think, well, how can you be a top henchman? But just the role's iconic, right? You have an absolutely, we've talked about this before, an absolutely incredible first fight scene between Jackie and him. Uh, and then you have the iconic Street Fighter fight sequence. Uh, I mean, he comes to the screen at, like, typically, once again, being the, the Guaylo, the right, the Waiworan, the foreigner. And uh, he, he was very, it, we get the whole sequence of him training. And just you see his incredible physique, his incredible abilities. Uh, and at the same time, he's obviously a flawed character because he's a, he's a lady chaser, right? Like, he, 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 he. You know, it's just, it's different than any other other individuals on my list. And yes, I know it's very comical, but for me, it's so iconic. And I think of it as being uh, one of the best henchman roles because, yes, he is working for Colonel McDonald. Uh, And yeah, so it made my number nine just because of his presence uh, and how memorable the role is and how different it is. Totally fair. He was he was sitting on my number nine for a very long time uh, up until about five minutes before the podcast. Yeah, it's it's it's. It is comic book cinema at its absolute best, and he delivers it along with Jackie Chan and Richard. They they deliver between the three of them a really nice uh, 
comic book film. Yeah. Yep. So that's why I made my list. All right. Your numero eight. Complicated. This is just, I think I texted you beforehand. This is where we start to get complicated on my list. Uh, I'm going to go for it. My number eight is Richard Norton, Twinkle, Twinkle, Lucky Stars. <laughs> so, uh, will we be talking about him again? We will be talking about him again. I, I had him up at number four at one point. And it's just been <laughs> working its way down. I mean, it's it's one of the most iconic uh, iconic roles. It kind of ushers in uh, an era of of like that Hong Kong kickboxing. I know that that era had already been present, but it just in a very big way and per, in a personal impactful way, if, if that's even grammatically correct for me. Watching this scene was everything and it's one of my most watched scenes if i'm going to show a scene to somebody something that's short quick and fun i'm going to pull up richard norton versus uh versus sammo and if they're interested in something a little more i'll show them the chase scene with jackie chan where they're running down uh you know in between in between houses it's it's another great scene don't be a hero yeah or what is it? The world's got plenty of heroes. heroes. You know, see, your Richard Norton's pretty good. I don't know why I can't. I, I don't do a very good Aussie accent. But hey, better luck next time, Mike. <laughs> Keep your bloody hands up. Okay, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, we're definitely gonna be talking about that a little bit more because it's also on my list. Uh, so I guess we'll get to it then. So my number eight. Mm-hmm. My number eight is. Michael Woods in the line of duty four. I knew he would be on your list. That's yep. why I didn't mention him on my honorable mention. Yeah. So I obviously I've talked about it before and I've talked about it with Gavin. I absolutely love in the line of duty four. And I saw that fight scene before I even had the movie at dragon fest 2001. I had already like spent <laughs> pretty much. I had 20 bucks left and I, I've talked about this before. So it was either get the, in the line of duty four DVD or two other DVDs. And I'm glad I went that way because the next year, I immediately went to that booth and the first thing I bought was in the line of duty four. Cause for the past year, I had been thinking about that fight scene. Cause that like the old Dragon Fest, people would bring their TV set up and just be playing movies the whole time. And someone had put that one on. They're like, oh yeah, check out this fight scene. I just remember watching it like in awe. But I was like, oh crap, I only got 20 bucks left. And it ended up being the right choice because as I mentioned, I got Crystal Hunt. And then I don't remember what the other movie was, but I don't know what I would have done if I'd never seen Crystal Hunt. So for a whole year, I let it brew. And people are like, why don't you just watch it online? Guess what? YouTube didn't come out for like another, I don't know. Uh, we're talking 2001. When YouTube like first come out, 2006. And then it was a few years later till people started putting like significant stuff on there like that. But so there was no way for me to watch it. So I just remember thinking about this fight scene thinking about it, thinking about it for a year, and then finally getting my hands on the DVD. So it's definitely a nostalgia factor, but also throughout the movie, we get to see him a lot. He pops up, you know, he uh, attacks uh, the the guy at the beginning, right, The uh, in the apartment, and so he does have a role throughout, and he's just so different than the other henchmen we saw throughout that time. I mean, obviously, there wasn't a whole lot of black or African-American henchmen, uh, obviously our sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, but not only that, he was built like a tank and later on you come to realize, oh, he was actually quite short, but had like literally 
a bodybuilder's build, not an exaggeration. He was built like a bodybuilder, but moved like a wushu performer because he was. He was a student of Bosin Mark Donnie Yen's mom. That's how they knew each other. So this iconic fight scene at the end, like overall as a henchman, yeah, it's not nowhere, he's nowhere near as strong as some of my other uh, entries, but that iconic fight scene, the nostalgia factor for me when they're fighting up on the roof is just so good. It's, uh, it was innovative on Donnie and Yuan Wuping's part. And then you see the early uh, traces of Donnie kind of creating this mixed martial arts style where they're doing wrestling and they're doing grappling and submission type stuff. Uh, definitely a lot more kind of straightforward basic stuff, nothing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but like headlocks and wrestling throws. And it's there, the, the seed's been planted. And it's just such an amazing fight team because you get to see him, A, be the big, giant, strong, uh, you know, uh, foreigner henchman. But also he does some crazy wushu kicks and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he goes back and forth from just being like, punch my muscles to jump spinning kick. And And he also the ending slightly anticlimactic where he literally just like falls off the roof like, oh, spoiler alert. But for me, that's why it's on there. He also had uh, a handful of other great henchman roles in the aforementioned Crystal Hunt, uh, Tiger Cage 2, uh, Ballistic Kiss. He popped up in there. So, yeah, just a very iconic henchman for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you, the other thing that uh, so our audience doesn't forget is a, as a henchman, he helped sell uh, the moves of the protagonist so well. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that is something that is imperative in the henchman role. It is essentially like he, he sold, it's the triple kick, right? Or is it the, how many kicks does Donnie get in on him? Donnie does the triple kick. Oh yeah. The, Donnie's the, and he, and it's just like a Dick way or Dick ways hench, uh, uh, stunt double selling Cynthia Rothrock's, uh, scorpion kick. Yeah. It's the, it, it's, he sells it and he receives it so well. There's also a great uh, story arc. You know, it's like the, yeah. uh, he at first is done. Then Donnie starts to win. And then suddenly Michael, there's like the halfway point where he's like, Ugh, let me revamp. And, and then he literally just flexes in the sun and you see how ripped and giant this dude is. And it's like, uh-oh, recharge, round two. And, you know, it go, it's a back and forth, a truly great back and forth. Um, okay, my next one, I don't know if he actually throws a, uh, a blow with uh, the lead character. However, he is almost more present than the villain, but because of his presence and how criminal. <laughs> how criminal. Sorry. No. I, that wasn't to you, that was me, because I, I had a for, for those that don't know, <laughs> I'm edit. also drinking my post workout shake and it did like go slurp, and so I tried to block the sound from the mic. Don't know if that's actually going to work, but it, it gave us a lot. I heard it. I heard the slip in my left ear, not the right. So you blocked the you blocked half of the nice. half that's of the like sound. Okay, so keep going. Um, so because of how slee like I don't know, wormy a criminal this guy is, he really helped build up the villain. So that's the other thing that I like about a protagonist, or not a protagonist, a henchman is they either help. Uh, be that that story arc that the the protagonist can overcome or someone who can sell the villain. Yunwa super cop. Ooh, good choice. And the funny part is when you first mentioned the list, he popped up there for me. Yeah, and he did. I was like, oh man, he could make my list. Because uh, technically, remember, he works for Tribot. But the thing is, it's almost like he comes in first as the villain, but then later mm-hmm. is uh demoted to henchman. 
Yep. So, but technically he is not the lead villain, but what a great choice because Ewan Waugh has played so many iconic villains, right? Like the lead villain. But this is one where he actually gets to take a back seat a little bit. And I think that's a fantastic choice. It's, it's, it's a fun choice. And actually he was my last addition because it, I had other Ewan Waugh characters in there. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if these are true henchmen. They're kind of henchmen. They're kind of lead villain or they're kind of like psycho melted from the caveman age. Iceman cometh type character. <laughs> but this one was, hey, this is pure henchman and this is also pure acting on his part. And he's having fun with it. And I I I, I just I just felt like it had to be in there because it is it is a great henchman performance. This is the kind of person that Yun Wan needed working for him in all the films where he was the lead villain. Nice. Good choice. So that was your number seven? Yes. All right, you ready for my number seven? I, I am indeed. My number seven is Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham <laughs> and Riding Wrong. So, yes, totally biased. I originally had him at like nine or ten with Gary Daniels, and I was like, you uh, know what? No, it's an iconic role. Like, And, yes, we are biased because he is our sensei. But, no, it's one of the most iconic vill- or henchman roles in Hong Kong cinema. And one of the reasons that I was so drawn to find him as a coach, right? Like, so, uh, I mean, his role in that and in No Retreat, No Surrender, I've talked about this. Just like, whoa, I just thought he was so incredible. But Writing Wrongs was is also one of my all-time favorite Hong Kong action movies or just movies in general. And he is just so good. I mean, if he would have had maybe one more sequence, uh, he could very well be closer to number one because – he, he's different than some of the other henchmen we have coming up that I'm sure we're both going to have. And as we said, it's like he doesn't get off, give off the being evil one as much. Yes, he obviously has to be somewhat of a sociopath to do that kind of job. But for him, he brings off this vibe of he is a professional. Hey, so this is just what I'm doing. You know, he goes he he knows exactly who he's killing. He shoots and kills the guys he needs to sees the children are in there. And it's just like, hey, this is a job I've been hired for. He puts the bomb on there like. Eh, so you can maybe think he's like, well, I didn't want to have to kill all these kids and stuff, but, you know, I got to do what I got to do. And then, you know, same thing. He goes to fight our protagonist in Yuen Biao and they have this awesome martial arts showdown. And, you know, if he would have had maybe had one more sequence, like maybe he could have had a fight with Cynthia Rothrock or yeah. something else, then he could have easily been moved farther up. But for me, that's why he sits at number seven, simply because not as much screen time or presence as some of the others. And yes, it's not the the finale. It's not like it's the final fight. Uh, so yeah. It's, it's, it's a pivotal fight. It's visually absolutely iconic. Uh, the characters developed early on, early on. So it's not just someone who's standing in the background that steps forward to have one fight. Uh, agreed. One more fight, maybe against Cynthia Rothrock, maybe against James Tien, maybe against uh, Corey Yoon. Then we would have seen a slightly uh, a larger story arc. But you know what? He was absolutely um, um, iconic, professional, iconic and professional. And it, uh, that's uh, that's around the same spot where I had him originally, too. But I just kind of kept pushing it down a little bit because I'm like, Gavin, I'm being absolutely biased. But you know what? It's I, my podcast. bias is justified. It, yeah, it's our podcast. Right. We can be biased, baby. So like, new number one. Well, guess what? We can do what we want. All right. Uh, my number six. So this is where 
in my pre-recording text to AJ, full disclosure, I said my number one through six could all be tied for number one. Yep. And any single one of them could pop up to number one at any given time. Yep. Here's where we talk about the person who is probably the greatest henchman of all time for me. Uh, so I'm putting him at number six, Billy Chow. Yeah, you know what's funny? He's gone way up on my list, but that's originally where he was sitting. He was you originally sitting at number one for me. So I I was going to include uh, Legend of the Fist. That was going to be my character because like your folks in Operation Condor, they all worked for Adolf. He technically worked for Japan. But uh, do you mean Fist just, of Legend? Fist of Legend. Sorry. Not yeah. What did I say? Legend, <laughs> you of, said Fist? Legend of the Fist. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Fist <laughs> of Legend. Fist yes. of Legend. Yeah. But no, see. I, I disagree. He's not a henchman. He is the lead villain. That's yes. That, so yeah. I, I was like, he, he's a general. He's the lead villain. So even though he works for the folks, he was, in he Japan, was on my list of the top ten villains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went with uh, the the fried rice eating uh, pedicab driver. Nice, good choice. Come on, like even now as I'm talking about it, just seeing him chew the rice with his like pale complexion, clearly sickly, clearly decrepit, terrible, like he's almost as bad as his boss, uh, human being, moral character, just seeing him sit there, that alone almost puts him at number one for me as a henchman. However, that movie has so many smaller henchmen smaller i'm sorry other henchmen throughout the film that uh he could have had more to do he could have had he, there could have been fewer henchmen he could have just been involved but no so because his role was slightly small and we've talked about this before like that final fight it's in on both our top 10 list i believe or at least it's on mine uh with uh with billy chow it's still not it's still going to make my number one because of the shortness of the list i think it made my number two uh of that fight. So, um, again, easily number one, I think we're going to be talking about Billy Chow again. I don't know which film you picked cause it could be any number of mm -hmm. the films. So I'll, I'll pause on Billy Chow for now. And that's what we had talked about is, uh, and so we'll just say Billy Chow is the greatest henchman of Hong Kong cinema. And, but at the same time, you know, cause originally I had, uh, him at uh, like number six or five, because I was like, you know what? He's the greatest henchman, but at the same time, he's not necessarily, did he have the best henchman role? Well, he did jump up exponentially for me because it's once I started breaking it down and remembering little things. So yeah, could have been number one, could have been number 10, but the thing is nobody has as many good roles. Uh, there's someone with a close second, but anywho, my number six, my number six was originally my number two, uh, okay. and then dropped to number six, like right before the recording. Uh, could easily be number two or number one, but he is my number six now, and that is Ken Lo and Drunken Master Two. <laughs> okay, we're about to we're, we we are about to discuss him shortly. Yeah, okay. for my See, list too. Yeah, so, so he, he, I could I could just tell you he's my number five. Okay, then there same, we go. Oh, so role. then we can same talk role. about it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So there we go. Perfect. So yeah, he had, he had, he was my number two, and then he dropped down a little bit. Here's the deal: he's a fantastic henchman, has one of the greatest fight scenes of all time. He's prevalent throughout the movie. Uh, and he's like, I love the story arc of that final fight scene. We've talked about that, but even just how weaselly and how like, you know, his maniacal laugh and just the body language, the way he holds his face when he's like talking to him. And it's like this almost like a cheesy car salesman, like, <laughs> you know, and he's just, he just pisses you off like with his body language. And that's, what's amazing. His skills are incredible. Uh, we get to see him beat up people, you know, throughout slightly, but you know, you realize how amazing he is. 
and even the first time when he sees Jackie, he was like, this guy's supposed to be good when Jackie's super drunk in the streets. So he has plenty of screen time. He's a major part of the narrative. He's most definitely a henchman, not the lead villain, and could have easily been number two. But one of the reasons he dropped to number six is simply because, yes, he was an evil bad guy, but not quite as evil as my one through five. You know, he doesn't actually just straight up murder anybody. Uh, not that he wouldn't have necessarily. Uh, I mean, they do kill Lao Gar Long's character, but it's more so like a group of them. And they even frantically run off. Like, you know, it's they're just he's just not. I mean, he's he's an evil son of a gun, but he's actually not that evil in comparison to my one through five. And the evilness is a main thing for the henchmen. Right. Uh, once again, you don't necessarily have to be, quote unquote, psychotic, even though I guess technically they all are. But he just he's he's a great henchman, great bad guy. But the reason he couldn't crack the top five in the end is because he's not as sadistic or evil as my other choices. Yes. Uh, so as I hear you speak, I'm wondering if we're actually so a lot of the names are interchanging throughout this list. I'm wondering if our one, two, three are going to be the same. Maybe not because of how low I had Billy Chow. But with that said, what I like about Ken Lowe's character is his sheer enjoyment and and uh, his sheer enjoyment on how good he is. Yes. His character knows how good he is and his character is relishes that. That's what I'm saying. He's sleazy and it's just like, he's you know, sleazy he, and he, he loves it. He loves the way he, he smiles and he's like, uh-huh. you know, like and, and making we, fun of his drunken fist and. We've seen people do close to what he does in that film, like the split standing splits. Yeah. We've seen that in a few films, but no one did it with his stature, with his uh, pace and with his, uh, I don't know, with, with just his confidence. He, it's just, if you look at other roles where Ken Lowe plays a henchman, let's even say like a buffoony henchman, like in Gorgeous, for instance. Right. You see this acting range that he has. And I think we even saw him in Raging Fire where he kind of plays a different kind of like, not real henchman, but like a, a lower tier mob boss. Yeah. He has, he, has a, he has a unique acting range. But what was special about this character and this henchman is, is how clean it is from a performance standpoint and also from even his sleaziness cleanliness standpoint i don't know if there's if i'm making if i'm making sense maybe people have to if you haven't seen the film you have to watch it to maybe gather what i'm saying but there is there is he's like the the later year uh athlete that you bring in like the superstar signing like like the lakers bringing in kareem abdul jabbar and it's funny you say that because the the instinct even us just talking about and maybe one of the reasons why he doesn't go farther up my list is because he comes off as like a jock bully. Yes. As opposed yes. to maybe like a psychotic killer, like the rest yes. of my list. So he's like, he's just so good at what he does. And that's the perfect analogy right there. Like the all-star brought in and he's just this cocky bully son of a gun. And, and for me, the reason why he, in, in this case, he ranks higher than Billy Chow is the level of impact he has throughout the entire story arc of the film, his presence, whereas Billy Chow is present, but he's hanging back. Even, even in the, even in the scene where Sam was clearing the room, he's hanging back, just eating his fried rice. Yep. All right. I'm ready for your number five. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, 
Ken Lowe is my number six and you're number five. So now my number five. And this was one that had floated back and forth. And I was like, no, he's going to be like 10 because he's not. And then I had to rethink about the movie. I didn't go back and rewatch it. But then I started to rethink about it. I was like, you know what? No, he deserves to be top five. Could have easily been top three. But it's uh, this is my Dickway choice. Dickway and yes, madam. Okay. And uh, here's the deal. At first, I was like, well, no, he's not that evil, right? Like, he even apologizes to Cynthia Rothrock in the final fight. Well, no. Remember, he the whole first sequence is where he kills Richard, the guy Richard, mm-hmm. just like point blank range shoots him and kills him, right? He yeah. is a true hitman. He is a true enforcer, a true henchman. And first of all, love his style. I love the rolled up sleeves. He's just so slick, so cool. Uh, you know, he knows what he's doing. He'll do anything for his boss. He, the ending fight sequence is, you know, one of the greatest finales of all time. It's hard hitting. He's a killer. Remember, he goes into Choi Hark's apartment. He's trying to kill him then. So he, he may not be as like, you know, he may have some politeness to him, some manners, but it doesn't mean he's not a psychotic killer. Uh, once again, he's cool and calculated. So he's different than like a, <laughs> but you know, he is truly a bad guy. He is a bad person and he does bad person things. And I just love his whole presence in the movie. And by, I mean, his outfits throughout are great. Like even in the club fight sequence. Right. But I love, you know, in the finale in his suit, like the kind of more traditional Chinese suit with the rolled up sleeves. And he's mm-hmm. just so believable in what he does. And yeah, he is a very bad, evil man. I, a great choice. And that, you know, he was, he was on my list as like, uh, as a, as a henchman for yes, madam. And then I just uh, linked him too closely to chunk fat. And then I started thinking about him working together. And that's why it, I picked the smaller role that for him. And that's why it's at the lower end of the list. I think this is a fantastic choice. He does everything that all the others that we've talked about in both our lists in six through 10 have done, whether it's like Michael Woods selling things for, for his actors. Uh, I also like, he does have that, like that slight line of honor. So like Mm -hmm. uh, referring back to the, like the, the three uh, henchmen prototypes that like that I was identifying to help me with this list. He does fall into that Tatsuya Nakarai Sanjuro list of being and honorable despite doing non-honorable acts. And it's funny you say that because when it comes to my top three, two are the exact opposite of that, but one is. So I'm excited I, once we get to that. But uh, I, th- I think I know your top three might have be my one of my four. Okay, interesting. So that was my number five, Dick Way and Yes, Madam. So now we're on to your number four. So this is a very honorable choice. This is a character that the movie revolves around this henchman. Uh, And yet, if you think about it, there might be something slightly psychotic. Psychotic doesn't always have to be evil. Uh, I'm going with uh, the late, great Brad Allen for Gorgeous. Wow. You know what's funny? (laughs) Once again, is I he not on your list? He's not on my list, and wow. I know. I thought he was going to be in your top three. No, uh, <laughs> for me, and I'll tell you the reason why. When we first came up with this list, he like instantly popped up in my head. But it's it's first of all, 1999. We can still count that as like the very end of maybe classic Hong Kong cinema. But for me, I guess it's just a little far removed from the era of the classic henchmen and bad guys and villains. And yes, he <laughs> is hired. Uh, For me, he's more of uh, like a hired gun. He's a heavy 
And I guess that's why I didn't really think of him as a henchman because he he doesn't have any true investment with the villain or the group. And so for me, because, you know, we know how much I love this movie. We talked about this movie uh, and I guess it just I just didn't see him as a henchman as more as I thought of like him being like a hired gun. But then if a hired gun's not a henchman, then what is he? So for me, I guess it just didn't make my list. And also because he's just, he is honorable. He's a sportsman, right? He wants to win more than anything else. So maybe there's some ethical issues he may have to work on, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, like in the martial arts code, like Bushido or whatever, but he's not an evil person. He's just, wants to fight and win so i think that's a great choice but just didn't make my list well it and i think it's that for that reason even though he's played very straightforward it's like hey i'm a good guy here are my gloves and now oh you're you're getting stronger so i'm going to change my gloves you know to match you or or to make my hit softer but there is something psychotic about that yeah there i guess is, so, like there I, is, there, see i look at it as more obsessive wanting yeah, they're, to they're, win no matter yes. what and so but then again i guess you can look at some of the greatest athletes of all time they have to be slightly almost just like the top ceos a lot of times are, are oh they're most ceos are actually sociopaths well i mean also at the same time a lot of these top athletes have to have sociopathic tendencies to get to the top of where they are right they have to just be so tunnel vision and focused and i think uh i think without brad allen that movie doesn't happen. Oh yeah. Period. And it's not and it's and without that character that movie doesn't happen. It's a it's a special it's a special moment in cinematic history where the perfect character aligns with the perfect uh actor to portray that role in the perfect film and and while that film is a great sh- uh showcase of Jackie Chan and his how you know his workout routine etc while that it is kind of a perfect film for jackie chan in many ways this is a brad allen vehicle uh and as a hired gun because he because he is a hired gun for me he had to make the list and because it revolves so much around his character that's why he is higher at one point he was below uh ken lo and billy chow billy chow was above both of them so like i said my top six could all be Number one, uh, I could make an argument for each of them being number one. But when it when it came, when I started looking at at like head to head, like almost like a, a bracket, and I started doing Ken Lo versus Brad Allen and the impact on the film, Ken Lo versus Billy Chow and the impact on the film, you know, kind of getting away from just the character itself, then I had to put him in my top five. Hey, amazing choice. Uh, and I so then I have a feeling that one of my ones coming up is not even on your list. So that's great too. So uh, anyways, my number four, similar to one of your previous ones, but it's a trio. It is Yasuaki Karata, Chung Fat (laughs) and Richard Norton for Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars. The trio for me, they are a team of henchmen, right? They work for the villain. They are hitmen. And yes, they are entertaining and cool and fun. The fight scene with Samo and Richard is classic. Uh, there's obviously the whole gimmick with uh, Rosamund Kwan and Yasuaki Karada in the bathroom where she pretends to be blind, this and that. But at the end of the day, they are three evil hitmen. They mm-hmm. kill Melvin Wong on uh, parachutes <laughs> with machine guns. They are there to assassinate uh, these other individuals. And the, the, the cool part is we have a Japanese speaking one. And even in the original version, 
you actually get to hear Yasuaki Karata speaking Japanese. I believe it is his voice. It yes. is most definitely Richard Norton dubbing his own English voice. I don't know whether Chung Fat did his own Cantonese voice, but it's sort of, you're like, how did these three guys team up together and how do they communicate? Because they all speak in different languages, but they're just all very distinct. We get Chung Fat with his awesome fake mustache and he has one of the coolest close range fight scene, kind of Wing Chun-esque fight scenes with Yuan Biao in the elevator. That's a fantastic uh, fight scene. Yasuaki Karata, you know, gets to throw down with the size, which we love. Yep. And then Richard Norton and Sammo, uh, which is an amazing fight scene, and it's a combination of you get to see Richard's karate as well as the kickboxing style, and it's just so hard hitting and great. And I, I love that movie overall. I love the three of them as a trio of hitmen. Once again, we get to see them throughout the movie kill people. They kill. Is it James Tian, the mob boss that they kill earlier in the movie, where they switch the cars and then there's the chase sequence with Jackie? So yeah, I mean these guys are pretty good at their job up until the end. So, uh, and they're just. From a let's say from a costume standpoint, they're also very well done as classic looking hitmen. We have once again Chung Fat with his classic fake mustache and you know his costumes and disguises in a sense where he's like the mailman. And then you've got cool Richard Norton in his blue suit with like a red shirt. And then once again Yasuaki Karada in a I don't know some sort of GQ 1980s looking like pinstripe sailor shirt mm-hmm. and suit. So they're just very iconic looking. They are all incredible martial arts that all get to display their martial arts and action on screen. And for, yeah, that's why the trio of them made my number four. That, it, it, that's a great selection. And to be honest, like, I love this film. But what I love about the film are just their sequences. And maybe Samo doing um, uh, judo with Michelle Yeoh. Is it Michelle Yeoh? Yeah, it is Michelle yeah. Yeoh. Uh, with that said, I would have... Your selection is so spot on and right. What I actually, as as you're speaking, I'm like, you know what? What if they had just had a film, just the three of them? Oh, wouldn't that be good? What if, hey, yes. it's never too late for a sequel because none of them died. That's right. They, they all just all got out of prison, prison right? Now. So that was like 1985. So we're looking at, you know, maybe, okay, so maybe in 2025, 40 years, right? They've, they've been in uh, prison for, wait, no, that's not right. Yeah, 1985. Oh my God, wait. How old am I turning? 30? Wait, yeah, so sorry, 20. Yeah. Wait, how? 20, 2035? No, wait, no. 1985 <laughs> was uh, 35, 37 years ago. So in like three years. Yeah, holy crap. Sorry, I'm just realizing how old I am. That's a little scary. Uh, that's what was blowing my mind. Okay, so we're looking at 2025. And it's 40 years later. They've finally been released from prison. Yes. And they're going to go back to their same old shenanigans. Yeah, and you know what? In many ways, it's like the original Winners and Sinners uh, script. All those guys got released from prison. Yep. Right? So, no, but I, so I think that that is a fantastic uh, choice. The reason I, I couldn't do that is because I had, I, I didn't want to double pick uh, Chung Fat and I had him already with Dick Way. But by you're doing that, you're able to free up Dick Way to pick him from another film. So, I think your list is turning out great. It's a very solid list. Maybe the second best one on this topic I've ever seen. Oh, I love it. I love the sass. You're a true henchman. All right. But now we're getting into the big boy stuff, the top three. And uh, yeah, let's hear Top it. three. Top three is difficult. My one, my three, my one, two, and three keep changing. Uh, and my two and three are changing right now. So did mine. Go- I just changed mine. <laughs> so, but now you got to decide. Five, four, oh, it's easy. three. It's it's Benny the Jet from. Oh, 
Uh, see, that's supposed to catch you. You think I was going to say wheels on meals? Nah, dog. Dragons forever. Because as a henchman goes, rather than just the sporting uh, henchman, this is the henchman that wants to take over, much like uh, the Western uh, henchman that I mentioned, Sean Cannon, wanting 50% of Cobra Kai. He wants 50% of the heroin business that's run by Yunhua. Do you fight as hard as you negotiate? <laughs> What did he? What was the answer? Harder? Yeah, I think he said yeah, even yeah, harder. Yeah, yeah. You got <laughs> even, even harder. Yeah. All right. But so okay. Yeah. So uh, Benny the Jets, dragons forever. Uh, he is scary. He is scary. He knocks out two of the three stars. He knocks out uh, Samuel Hung with an amazing body shot. Ooh, Although, yeah. I mean, that's cinematically, it's fantastic. Uh, and he knocks uh, Yun Biao out with a throat kick. Um, fantastic. And then he and Jackie Chan arguably have one of the greatest uh, fight sequences on in cinema history. Yeah. Uh, and the only sl- reason it didn't make either of our lists is because another fight scene of theirs did, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but th- this one, with, with, for me, with this, with uh, Benny the Jet Urquidez, the character in Dragons Forever, it is because he is a henchman who is invested. He is the henchman that is like, uh, is like all three prototypes. He is super skilled, uh, like the Sanjiro character. He is sleazy and invested. And you can't even tell if he's doing this for payment although he does ask for 50 percent, he's just so involved like the ojimbo character and yet he is also like the character who is willing to eliminate and kill anybody uh it's just it's and on top of that this is the film of henchmen there are henchmen galore throughout this film dick way could have made it uh the list for his role in this film uh billy chow could have made it for his role in this film and maybe he does on your list but there there are a lot of people and yet there's one henchman that comes out on top and even outshines the villain and outshines two of the stars because the two stars sell so well for him to make it into a great final apex fight he's the top dog so that he's my number three there you go i love it i love it okay my number three is Billy Chow and Pedicab Driver. So, <laughs> okay. you know, we were talking about this before where I was like, wait a minute. Billy Chow is the most iconic henchman of Hong Kong cinema without a doubt. Uh, and then, But then I was thinking, wait, but do any of his actually make the top henchmen? Because I was like, okay, yeah, he's great in uh, Lady Reporter, right? A.K.A. Mm-hmm. The Blonde Fury. I love him as the head of the Rope Factory gang in Miracles. I thought of that one too. Yeah, you get to Eastern Condors. He's so good in Eastern Condors, right? Uh, he just pops up in so many movies in Dragons Forever. He's great in that. I love the bearded look, right? Uh, but the thing in Pedicab Driver, I was like, well, maybe it's not, maybe it'll be like 10. The reason why I changed my mind was the opening sequence, which I had to think about because they go oh, to wow. retrieve Dick Way, right? Who's left the great, game. Cause with great his, point. With his pregnant uh, wife and or mistress who is a prostitute for the lead villain. So they don't like that both of them have left. They literally, as she's giving birth, they break in, they murder his ass right in front of her as she's giving birth to their kid. No hesitation. They, Him and Chung Fat just straight out kill his ass, right? And... 
And that's it. That's it. And throughout the movie, he's actually kind of almost mindless in a sense. Like, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, the finale, where he's just eating his rice and stuff. It's it's almost like he doesn't even think he's just programmed to do whatever he's supposed to for the boss. Even when the boss is like, you know, selling him out there like, oh, it wasn't me. It was him. You should fight him. Fight him. You know, talking about Billy Chow. He doesn't care. He's like, mm. you know, he's just he's programmed to do apparently two things, eat and fight. Uh, so, cause even in the sequence where they run into him in the street, it's like, he's ready to throw down right there. Right. And he's just so evil looking. Like when he gets ready for the fight, he's got the toothpick, he's unbuckling his pants. You know, it's just like, Hey, this is what I do. He's mindless in a sense. Like he has a lot more character to him in some of his other roles, like as general Fujita in Fist of Legend, mm-hmm. uh, a more comical turn in uh, Tai Chi two, uh, where he plays the great kick of the North, you know, obviously, uh, Paper Marriage. He's playing a fictional just, version of himself, sort of. And I was just re-watching Paper Marriage just to see, is there a way that I could slip Dick Way in for that ah, character? Wait, do you have a copy? No, I don't. Okay. We should, I was, yeah. We should review it, though, one of these days. Absolutely. But, uh, so, yeah, and that's why. Because he is just, he's like programmed evil. It's almost like he's a robot. And he, and because of, and so even still, someone listening may be like, well, you've, you made a much stronger case for some of your other entries, but then we have that fight scene, which is one of the greatest fight scenes of all time. And because of that, and because of his overall track record as one of, as the greatest henchman in Hong Kong cinema, and I know people should say, well, that shouldn't affect this one choice. His other roles are insignificant and inconsequential to that. <laughs> Guess what? Not for me. So that's why he makes it at number three. It is a fantastic choice. And I think, I think it's. It also fits in how you've described how you've been picking your henchman because his character is exactly the opposite of Brad Allen's character. Yep. So there, there, there are no moral qualms with this gentleman. And like I said, even just sitting there when he's sitting there and eating at the end of the table while all his underlings are doing the fighting against Samuel Hung. And by the way, if you haven't seen the film, you must watch Pedicab Driver. Just the way he looks sitting there, and I've mentioned this earlier, the sickly look on his face it's he's he's he is just i don't know just just the 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 iconic look of a true henchman right there at the end at the yeah. end of the table so great choice go. okay oh it's getting serious now your numero dos your number two okay Arhal. this is complicated i don't know if he's on your list but i'm going to go with Wu Jing. SPL kill zone. Oh man. Didn't even think of that one. Fantastic choice. Well, you know what? I am relying on you to pull a name out of the seventies. And I figured I need to get out of the eighties and the nineties and pull something out of kind of contemporary. So I went with the uh, Wu Jing who is as cold as the knife that he wields in this film. He is slick. He is dangerous. He is psychotic. He is dressed in all white like Brad Allen. Oh, no, no. Jackie Chan's dressed in all white and gorgeous. My mistake. He's as disturbing as his hairstyle is. He is disturbing and he pushes uh, Donnie Yen's character to the limit. Uh, the fight scene in the alleyway, uh, knife versus police stick, is fantastic. Uh, this is not the only fight sequence with Wu Jing. We see him murder people with his knife uh, earlier in the film. He is he is 
the son of Billy Chow from Pedicab Driver. I knew it. Wait, well, wouldn't he have to be like the grandson or the great grandson even? Because remember, Pedicab Driver set in the 30s or 20s. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. But yes, no, it's, it's, he, he is of that vein. He is of that bloodline. He is, he is as, uh, decrepit morally and also as dedicated to his craft as any of the henchmen that I pick, that I've picked. And I would say outside of Billy Child's Betty Cab Driver, who could maybe give him a run for the money, he, he is, he is the most evil of henchmen. My number one is not as evil. Hey, that's a great choice. Uh, truly an example of a, a 21st century henchman in the classic style. Amazing. He is truly, that is what he is. He is a henchman. He's a knife wielding, awesome assassin. Great choice. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I, I'm ready to learn from you because these top two where are we? Uh, okay, so my number two uh, is Benny, Benny <laughs> in Dragons Forever. So, uh, once again, you already mentioned most of the main things about it. It's just so iconic when you think classic Hong Kong martial arts cinema and you think henchmen from that contemporary uh, setting and era. There is no greater, I feel, than Benny the Jet. Uh, there's a few things. Uh, first of all, his costume and makeup design truly makes the character. He's wearing this like oversized suit, but that just works. He has the mascara on, which adds to his evil look. And we had mentioned this before, body language. He has the body language of a psychopath. And the thing is, he he isn't he's better than one of our three trio. He's not necessarily better than Samo. We don't get to see that because Samo's being held down by everybody. But, you know. He's definitely the top dog, right? Like if anybody was to challenge them, he'd kill him. You could tell his overall ambition is to be the leader. And really, he doesn't say almost anything except for, well, in the English dub, it's a deal. When, you know, he's offered like 50% of the company, whatever, from UNWA. And, you know, even when he just like tastes the drugs and it's his body language and presence that sells his evilness. Uh, and... He's just such a good performer and fighter, obviously. And we have this iconic fight scene, one of the greatest of all time. So he has his physical presence, his performance, and his motives all make him one of the greatest henchmen of all time. And that's why he's at number two on my list. Great, great choice. And you know, with with as, as you were speaking, it made me think that what's great about Benny the Jet and what's uh, in, in this Dragon's Forever character, and even Billy Chow in the pedicab driver role, they're kind of along for the ride. Mm-hmm. They can run, if, if, if any of the people in either of those businesses needed anything, they would probably go to Billy Chow or, or to Benny the Jet, because these, these are the ones who can actually give the answers, but they also don't have to bear the full responsibility of being the face of the evil empire. And so at any point, uh, that was a snap, uh, they could step in and be the lead. At any point, you you know, Benny the Jets character could eliminate Yunhua or Billy Chow could eliminate John Shem. Right, John Shem? John Shem? Yeah, Shem. John Thank Shem, you, yeah. I think it's spelled Shem. both sometimes. I'm not sure, yeah. So the, the, these characters are so dangerous that they could 
take the lead, but they don't. And this this also speaks very similar to the of the other proto, uh, you know, the, the Jack Palance character and the Tatsuya Nakadai character in Yojimbo. Either of them at any point in time take over. All the men listen to these characters. Uh, so I think having them in second place is 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 a is a great choice. I don't know who your I have no idea who your first is going to be. Um, maybe we'll finally have the same first place. I don't know. Mm, well, who is your number one then? Uh, it's Philip Quack, hard boiled. Mad Dog is my number one too. Yes. Oh right. snap! <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! Woo! It's so funny. I was like, oh, he's never gonna. But no, that's the one you were talking about the other day, right? Yes. Okay, yes. so you had mentioned one. Does it have to be martial arts? It's like, no, it's Hong Kong cinema. And I was like, oh, I don't know who he's gonna pick, but he's never gonna pick Philip Quack as Mad Dog and hard boiled. But you did. Oh my! I, I'm happy because you know what? I when I switched Wu Jing and Billy Chow or Wu Jing and Benny the Jet, my Benny the Jet was at second. And I dropped him to three, so it's like I don't know if we're gonna align at all. We have all the same names almost. You have Michael Woods. I have uh, I have uh, uh, Brad Allen. You know we we have and I have Wu Jing and you have uh, Dick Way standing alone, and then you have Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars, which is how you got Yasuaki Kurata in there, who I really wanted on my list, but I just couldn't find a way to do it. I thought about Gorgeous, but I'm like, now he kind of runs the show. Uh, but yeah, Philip Kwok. Yeah. What man. what he is every he is all three prototypes of henchmen in one he has his own twisted honor code yes but he doesn't he follows it through which is fantastic he has this character arc and character development where he follows through uh his code yes even when his code, for, even when his co- code forces him to have to change and i love you needed a henchman like him because Anthony Wong is a phenomenal villain. Mm-hmm. Awful. Horrendous. He's probably one of the worst villains. And I don't know if we actually talked about him when we did our top 10 villain list. And then you have these very complicated two, two lead characters. You have this cop who is absolutely gung-ho. Then you have this, you have uh, Tony Leung, the undercover cop, spoiler alert, who, uh, who is living a very twisted gray, gray life who who honor who honors his boss uh the police chief but also honors his old mob boss but then is is put in a, a compromising position where he has to follow through on his job and and be the one to kill his own his own boss and it's just the way mad dog reacts to all the character twists and turns he is the most consistent character even more so uh like anthony wong is consistent Chang Yun Fat is consistent. Everyone is consistent to their to their character, but very few people are consistent to a code. And Philip Kwok is the ultimate henchman code. He is he is he's honorable while working for an entirely entirely dishonorable person and in a dishonorable trade. I mean, I can't state it any better than you did. So all I'm going to bring to the table also is unlike any of our other entries, he's the only one that's better than the protagonist and never yes. gets beat. He beats them in every setting. Yes, he gets his eye blown out in that one shootout, but like, for example, when he has his actual throwdown and fight against both the protagonist, Chow Yun-Fat and Tony Lung, he beats them up at the same time. So it just goes to show how badass he is also in the sense of he can't be beat. And the only reason why he gets eliminated at the end is because of this code of honor, which pretty much comes down to no women or children, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Anthony Wong decides he's going to, like, blow up and kill all the women and children in the hospital, he's like, whoa, 
hold on, huh? Like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do kind of whatever it is to get the job done, but there's a line I won't cross. And then he gets shot for it. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, by, it's by, not, his, by his own boss. Yeah, by his own boss. He could have, you know, and it's not like he changed his mind and went to go help the good guys. And, you know, da, 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 like you see a lot of times where he's not, he's just like pretty much like, well, F this. And then, you know, would almost it's almost like Sipaku, right? It's almost like he'd rather perform ritual suicide than uh, have to break his own code of honor. But throughout the movie, we also he's very prevalent. He is a main character throughout the movie. He is the enforcer for the this is one of those ones where the lead villain does absolutely nothing to get his hands dirty in a sense. Right. He's just kind of like he lets Mad Dog and his men do everything. And Mad Dog lives up to his title of being Mad Dog. You know, he can kill whoever he needs to kill. He can shoot he can drive he can fist fight he can do everything and also once again i've talked about this uh his screen presence the body language there man stone cold killer right uh it's been a while since i've seen the english dub uh but uh when he kills uh uh Wei's character right mm-hmm. in the english dub it was something like it looks like you need an operation or something like that right and so Kills him, no hesitation. Uh, and so, yeah, his, his total screen presence, his body language, his menacing look on his face, the hairstyle, the costume, later the eye patch, right? The way he shoots his gun, the way he moves. And this comes from Philip Kwok being one of the Venoms, being a fantastic martial artist and stunt yes. director. And he brings this eclectic experience to this role and creates the most iconic villain of Hong Kong cinema. And without a doubt, deserving of the number one entry. I'm glad we both picked him and I can't think of a better one. And it is surprising because all of my previous nine were like martial arts roles. And yes, yes. Philip Kwok is a martial artist. Yes, they do get to do a little bit of fighting at the end, much different style, but it's tech, it's a non-martial arts movie. But also, I mean, a lot of that comes from, let's look at these previous films were all made by fantastic directors, but we're talking about John Woo, right? And if yeah. John Woo is going to, He's created so many iconic roles uh, for Chow Yun-Fat and characters and this and that. It is no surprise that in one of his films, he created the most iconic henchman. It, I couldn't have said it better. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, John Woo has up to that point has played with characters who are shifting sides, living in the gray zone and, and, uh, moving away from the gray zone near the end, choosing their, their, their right and wrong, their black and white. Uh, so he, he brought all of that. And what's different about hard-boiled and what, for me, sets it apart as one of the great police dramas, dramas, action films, gung-fu film, if it's even fair to call it that, is the Philip Kwok performance and role. Uh, and his presence allowed the other characters to be as layered uh, as they were. It's it's just it's an iconic role. It is uh, you know before the before we started talking, I mentioned like Otatsuya Nakadai and Jack Palance. Like to be honest, if we were having like if we we're being totally transparent, the other character I would have brought up would have been Philip Kwok, Mad Dog in the very beginning. Like the these are if you these are the prototypes of the archetypes of the henchmen. Hey, I'm, I'm so happy because our lists were very, not that, I mean, we had similar entries by different spots, but I'm so happy we landed on the same number one. Me uh, too. Hey, any, any, and so people, please go and watch all of these movies and all of these actors in these roles if you can. Uh, and then, yeah, 
Uh, any final thoughts? No, this this was a lot of fun. I was I've, I've been looking forward to this list. Although with each with each day as it, as we clo- got closer to recording, I'm like maybe I need like half a more day because this list is moving, shifting all around. Well, I'm glad that that was one of the last second ones I did was switching Phil Quack to number one. I felt almost like guilty in a sense, like oh I need to have Sensei Benny uh, there, and I was like you know what? No, in my heart, who do I think is the greatest henchman? Because he, he just does more as an overall henchman. So, yeah, great choice. Uh, and also, as a heads up, I didn't even know because I had tried to put us on there like six months ago and I didn't think it worked. But we are on Spotify. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, someone looked for I, – I saw somebody I hadn't seen in a while yesterday and he's like, oh, what's your uh, your uh, podcast song? Is it on Spotify? And I wasn't really paying attention and I was like, yeah. Oh, no, no. It's SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. He's like, oh, this isn't you? And he looked it up on Spotify. I'm like, oh. Because I, I, I did do it on there. I just never got an email confirming that it like went through. So, yes, we are now available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. We're available on SoundCloud and Spotify. Look That's out, fantastic. Joe Rogan. We're coming for your number one spot. <laughs> Anywho, this has been fun. Well, uh, uh, I'll be seeing you next weekend. That's right. So we'll hopefully be able to record. And, yeah. Sounds All right, great. My man. Take care. Peace, brother.